0: Morning, Grand Point. Man, good to have you back. Welcome online audience. So good to have you with us this morning on this uh, post-Easter Sunday. Wasn't last week great? I just need to tell you at 945, this crowd here, thank you, thank you, thank you for being flexible. We had a full house last week. I didn't realize until after the service we had about 60 people in the overflow. If that was one of you, Thank you for allowing the space in here uh, to work out. Thank you for accommodating the crowd. We had a record crowd uh, here at Grand Point, but we're so glad that some of you came back today. This would be a great day to worship on the golf course, wouldn't it? Man, what an awesome day out there, but, and I know that perhaps some are, but listen, welcome for those of you that are here this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening today. Today is the last Sunday In our series of messages called Destinations, Uh, for those of you that are regular members, you know that all the way back at the beginning of February, we started this journey with Jesus from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We watched him go all the way to the cross of Calvary, to the grave, resurrected, and now there's one more lesson. And in just a moment, we're going to hear that as well. But before we get into that, and before we get to our scripture reading, let me tell you what's coming. I have already told you about our summer message series called You Ask For It. Right? June, July, and August. We're taking like 13 weeks and I'm going to take questions from you, the audience, and we're going to answer them in the biblical way it, it, the best that we can. So today opens up that moment right now where we need to get your questions. I need your questions early because no doubt some of those are going to require a little research, uh, a little digging deep to answer your questions. So if you could get those in soon, uh, that would be wonderful. I think we already have about five of the 13 that have already come in. So here's how you do this. Uh, For those of you that are online, you can contact your host with the question or simply email the church office uh, with that question as well. We need it in writing. Uh, If you tell me in the hallway what your question is, there's a good chance that I'll forget it before I get back to the office to write it down. So don't do that. I'll write it down, put your name, first and last name on that if you would, and we'd love that. For those of you in the room, uh, you can stop by the hub today, pick up a little form that has uh, your, the ability to put out your question, or, again, email the church office. We'd love just to get those questions in as soon as possible. It's going to be a great summer. Now, before we get to that, though, there is May, and May starts next Sunday, and uh, we're going to begin a message series called Find Your People. This message series flows right out of what we've just done through the book of Mark. Uh, the book of Mark ends with a great two-letter word, go. And we're going to hear that in just a moment, and that's simply go. Find your people that you can be a witness to, and it's going to be a great series. Uh, We're going to share uh, that speaking with some others, but I want you to mark May 15th. May 15th is a date that you won't want to miss. It's called Youth Takeover, and literally, literally, our youth are going to take over the service. They're coming in here. They're going to lead everything from the worship through the message, every bit of it, all four weekend services. Uh, so we're going to give that to our youth, and uh, you won't want to miss that. Come out and support uh, you know, our students. Well, today, though, is the last day in our Destination series. We have one more message uh, that we're going to give, and I'm going to ask uh, Mike Loney to come and uh, lead us in the Scripture reading today from the last chapter of Mark uh, 16. And as he comes to lead us in this scripture, I'm going to ask you as the congregation, would you stand for the reading of the word?
1: Morning, everybody. Would you please stand for the reading of the word? The scripture reading is from Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20, English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. After he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink any deadly, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed messages by accompanying signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thank
0: you, you, Mike. You may be seated. Now, with a scripture text that talks about speaking in tongues and picking up snakes and drinking poison and driving out demons, you will understand why I have a guest speaker today, right? Uh, our guest speaker today is Mike Iverson. I first got to know Mike uh, on, a, on a cycling uh, ride. Uh, some of uh, the members here at Grand Point Church are part of Franklin County Cyclist and one of our rides uh, was out there. I don't remember which ride it was, but Mike comes up beside me and never met this guy before, starts talking to me. Now, I can talk when I'm cycling most of the time. A lot of times I'm just out of breath and can't do that. But in this particular case, I was able to talk and uh, got to know Mike on that cycling ride. He told me that he was with some of the other Franklin County cyclists at a a ride out uh, near Rehoboth and got to know some people from the church and was visiting the church. And through that conversation, I learned that Mike was a former pastor of a church plant in the great state of Montana. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Montana, but I don't know anything about Billings, Montana, but that's where Mike uh, grew up. It's where he's from. So I looked it up, and I discovered that Montana has a lot of great parks. But the other thing that I'm interested in is the food, (laughs) right? So I looked up the food in Montana, and the number one place to eat in Montana, the first thing that comes up, the highest rated place in Montana is called the Burger Dive. The Burger Dive. doesn't. I would have expected a little bit more of an elaborate name than that rather than The Dive, but that's the most famous place to eat. They're known for their famous uh, half-pound bison burger and their huckleberry and goat cheese milkshakes. So there you go. That's where this guy comes from. That's what he's grown up on. I'm not sure how he's going to deliver the message this morning off of that, but that is Mike. Would you join me in giving Mike uh, Iverson a great welcome here to Grand Point this morning?
2: Yeah, the burger dive. That is one of my favorite places to eat in Montana, in, in Billings. It is just this little tiny shop, and they have handful of tables in there and if you show up at twelve fifteen or or anytime after lunchtime officially starts you know there's going to be a line lined up around the block to get into this building and it is fantastic. They went out and won one of those big burger cook-off competitions I think in Las Vegas or something you know the ones they show on like Food Network and and all that other stuff and, and these guys won that competition they put the burger dive on the map in, in Billings Montana but Good morning, Grand Point. I am so glad to be here with you this morning. And as Pastor Lawrence mentioned, we've been started, we've got to know each other over the last several months. My wife and I are actually some of the new, my wife, Jennifer, and I were some of the newest members here at Grand Point. We were announced just a few weeks ago as new members of the church. When I first started getting to know Pastor Lawrence, I told him, you know what, Pastor Lawrence, I would love to help out. I'll be glad to do whatever you want me to do and and help in any way you need it. He's like, how would you like to preach some Sunday? <laughs> I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> but just, just a word of caution. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you offer. You might get taken up on that offer. So anyway, now I, I love Pastor Lawrence. I love his heart, his passion for the people. I love his passion for the unchurched people of our community and all around us and of the world. And I've really enjoyed this destination series. And I hope that you have as well. For those of you that are new or visiting with us this week, for the last couple of months, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been focusing on Jesus and the life and times of Jesus, just kind of following his life along and seeing what Jesus was doing, seeing what he was teaching, seeing the people that he was interacting with. And and most importantly, I think that what I got out of this is that we really focused and and focused on what it means to be a disciple of Christ, What it means to be a follower of Jesus. Last week, Easter Sunday, you know, was kind of, you think of that as the culmination of Jesus' ministry, the the crucifixion, but we weren't celebrating the crucifixion last week, were we? We were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were celebrating that stone that was rolled away, allowing us access to that empty tomb and to a new life in Jesus. Today, we're going to wrap up at what happens after the resurrection. And so we're looking at the end of Mark, Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 9 is our passage for the day. And now if you turn into your Bibles and you look in your Bible, you might see a little footnote there or a little inline text that says, many of the oldest manuscripts don't include this last section of the book of Mark. I'm not really sure what to think about that other than I know that when in, in the day, you know, lots of letters were written. These things were all hand-copied. and Anyway, they said that this wasn't included in some copies. But people a lot smarter than me have gathered together for centuries, and they've argued this. They've debated this. And they've decided to include this chapter of Mark in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't consider this to be... I mean, you look at this. There is nothing that contradicts anything else that's found in Scripture. There's nothing that adds to or takes away from Scripture. It is consistent with everything else that we see. So I consider this to be Scripture because I don't believe that we can pick and choose what parts of the Bible to follow and what parts not to follow. So we look at this. This is Scripture. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So there we have it. This is scripture, this is useful. This is something that we're gonna take from and we're gonna learn and we're gonna apply this to our lives today. Even the part about snake handling and poison drinking, right? But you know what I think would be perfect? Pastor Sir Lawrence says, you've got this series coming up this summer called You Asked For It. I think somebody should ask a question, what about that poison drinking and snake handling that's in the scripture there? Because I don't do snakes, okay? So we're going to skip that part today, and we are going to focus primarily on the Great Commission. So this is the Great Commission. Jesus has now appeared to the 11 disciples. That's the 12 disciples that we read about all the time, minus Judas Iscariot, right? He's appeared to the disciples, First thing he does is he rebukes them for their unbelief, right? Okay, but then he says, he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Likewise, in the book of Matthew, this same great commission says, go and make disciples. And when we put these two passages together, I think that it really gives us a good idea of what Jesus is saying. This is your purpose in life. You know, we hear these, these type of words like this, go and preach, go and make disciples, the great commission. And we think, that must apply to somebody else. That's all good. That was Jesus talking to his special disciples, right? His hand-chosen, the special few. That doesn't apply to me in my life, does it? Well, let's understand a little bit. Who were these disciples? First thing I'll say is the disciples represented virtually everybody in the known world that believed in Jesus and, and followed Jesus with his life and his ministry. So that kind of includes Christians. I think he was talking to all Christians at this time, but they were uneducated fishermen. Most of them, you know, these weren't biblical scholars. These were uneducated fishermen. There was a tax collector who was hated by most of society and was an outcast of society. There was a anti-government extremist now known as a zealot. The Bible refers to him as, as a zealot. And, and one of these guys had publicly denied even knowing Jesus. Just a few weeks ago, or maybe even just a few days ago. The Bible doesn't really tell us exactly, but it was probably just a few days. They were not exactly the cream of the crop, right? These aren't exactly the guys, if you're going to say, I'm going to go start a new religion, I'm going to pick these guys, right? So I'm going to trust these guys to fulfill my mission on earth. That's not who these guys were. They were ordinary, everyday people that were just out there working, trying to make a living, trying to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. Sure, three years earlier, they had heard the call of Jesus when Jesus came to them and said, come, follow me. And they had walked away from everything that they knew. They walked away from their boats, their nets, their businesses, their homes, and they went on the road with Jesus. They thought, this guy must be the Messiah. We're going to see him. And, and, and you know what? They saw him feed the 5,000. They see, saw him heal the lame and the sick and, and raise people from the dead. And they thought, man, this is it. This is God's promised Messiah. God is going to do great things and, and we're part of this plan. And, and maybe because we're his special friends, we'll get special honor in heaven, right? Life is turning out pretty good for me. That's what they were thinking. And then what happened? Instead of all that happening, fulfilling just like they thought it was going to happen, Jesus was arrested. He was publicly tortured. He was mocked and then he was executed. And and what happened to these guys? Poof, they were disappeared. They abandoned him because they were scared for their lives. They disappeared. And now Jesus appears to the 11 for the first time since the resurrection. And like I said, these guys, even though Jesus had told them three times at least leading up to this uh, crucifixion and resurrection, he told them exactly what was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem, but these guys still didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, even though Mary and these other two disciples had appeared, he had appeared to them, and they had gone and reported that Jesus is alive. And they're like, they still didn't believe. So they're gathered together, but it's not exactly in hopeful expectation. They're not out there making plans for how to take over the world or how to spread the good news to the rest of the world. These guys are gathered together, and the Bible doesn't say this exactly, but I think they were trembling and hiding in fear. I think they were depressed and, and downhearted. I think they were heartbroken. I think they were looking at each other saying, now what? Where do we go from here? Was that Jesus guy really the Messiah? If so, why is he dead? That's not supposed to happen. That's not the way he's supposed to pull out or work out. You know, the whole wor- their whole world had been turned upside down. These guys thought they had it all figured out and they thought they knew what God's plan was for their life. They thought they had their purpose in life figured out and everything changed on them in a heartbeat. Have you ever asked yourself, what's my purpose in life? Why am I here? What does God want me to do? Or what does God want to do with me? Have you ever set out to chase a dream? that you thought, God is calling me to this as something great, and and there's no way that I can fail because God called me to do this. And it doesn't always work out the way that you thought. I think that's what these 11 disciples of Jesus were thinking when they left their fishing nets and their boats and homes to follow Jesus. There is no way. We're following Jesus. We're following the Messiah. There is no way that we can fail. Sometimes the things that we don't, that we plan, or that we think is going to work out, sometimes the way that we think life is going to pull out, work out for us, doesn't happen the way that we plan it in our minds. Sometimes you set out to do this something great, and then you lose your job, or maybe a loved one dies, or or somebody just the, your partner just up and leaves you. Maybe a global pandemic hits and we struggle for two and a half years wondering when is life going to go back to normal, having to understand and accept that life is never going to be normal like we think of normal again, probably. It's always going to be a little bit different because life doesn't always work out the way that we planned. I think that's how these guys felt. I think they were scared. I think they were alone. I think they didn't know what to do next. I don't know about you guys, but I can identify with these guys because life doesn't work out always work out the way that we planned. In the, in the summer of 2005, after being part of a very successful church plant in Indianapolis, Indiana, my wife and I were offered the chance to move to Montana and start a new church. Now, some guys think, oh, you just wanted to go to Montana because there's lots of hunting and fishing, the great outdoors and and all this other stuff, and the burger dive. Don't forget about the burger dive. (laughs) All very true, but for me personally, this is where I grew up. This is the people that I knew. My family still lived there. This was an opportunity for me to live, take my kids, my wife, move close to my family, and to do something that I felt truly in my heart that God was calling me to do this. I thought, all right, God, here we go. And we packed up our five kids, our dog, all our big 15-passenger van that we had that we drove around in because we had lots of kids. And, And it was probably one of the scariest things I ever did. We headed out west. We headed for the great unknown. We had one goal when we left. We said, if we want to reach the unchurched people of Billings, Montana, for Christ, and if we can reach even one person for Christ... It's all going to be worth it, right? Sounds like a good goal. But you know what? It's probably the scariest thing I ever did. For the next six and a half years, my wife and I and our kids, we worked at this. We did everything that the books say you're supposed to do, the church planning books, the coaches and stuff. I had a church planning coach. He told me what to do. I tried to do everything he said to do. We did community outreach events. We did home Bible studies. We did um, uh, small group gatherings. We we did everything we could, and eventually our church, I mean, it started to grow, and, started, and things were looking up. We found this old abandoned bar, and we moved into this abandoned bar, and it, it was great because, you know, that big, long bar that a lot of bars have? This bar, this place had a place just like that. We set it up with coffee and donuts, and every Sunday morning, people would gather in this room, and we would have coffee and donuts and fellowship time, and we got to be a really close-knit group of people, and it was fantastic. I was going to put up a sign over the, the door into the, where we had our worship services. I was going to say, we serve a different kind of spirit now. <laughs> Somebody thought that was a little tacky, so I didn't get to do that. Anyway, <laughs> we did everything that we could think of, and I can honestly say that I believe people's lives were changed. People were baptized People came to know Jesus. People that hadn't been connected with church in a long time were reconnected to church and reconnected with their relationship with God. And it was fantastic. But we also had some struggles. We struggled a little bit. One of the things that I constantly struggled with as a father, as a husband, was how I was going to provide financially for my wife and my six kids. How's going to put food on the table. You say six kids? Wait a second. I thought you said you had five kids. Well... About nine months after moving to Montana, that five turned into six. (laughs) That should have been the first sign to me that not everything works out the way that we planned it, right? Because not everything's going to go as we had in mind, as we planned. I'll never forget September 24th, 2008. I got a phone call. I got a phone call from the denomination, the group of people that we were working with to plant this church. They said, Mike, we've got to talk. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good okay, what do you got for me? They said, we know that we had planned money for you for the next year or so, and we're supposed to put, we're out of money. Our money, we don't know what happened for sure, but money's gone. We don't want to leave you hanging, so we'll pay your salary till the end of the month, but then you're on your own. Oh, that was like a gut, a punch to my gut. I didn't know what to do. I scrambled around, took the next couple weeks and scrambled around. I lined up some contract engineering jobs with my previous employer. I, I started delivering newspapers, just like I did when I was in high school. 35 years old, delivering newspapers, that's a great feeling trudging through the snow on a snowy December morning in Billings, Montana when the snow is about 24 inches deep and it's about 30 below zero and I'm trying to get it done in time with the Christmas edition, which is lots, of really big. I'm trying to get it done in time to get to church on Sunday morning, asking myself, what am I doing here? How did it get to this? Kept praying, kept seeking God and nine months later, I got a job, not another baby. I got... (laughs) I got a job, a full-time job teaching high school, and it was great. I was like, oh, thank you, God. I knew that you were gonna provide. I knew that you were gonna make this a reality. So I started teaching high school welding and metal manufacturing. I did that full-time, but I'm also teaching, or working in this church full-time. Okay, I can do this, just work harder. Pick myself up by my bootstraps, work harder, trust in God, and God will provide. We did that for the next two years, and our church kept growing, kept growing. Until Mother's Day 2011, the place was packed. Almost as many people, no, just kidding. It was packed. I mean, it was big and it was a good crowd. And I was like, this is so exciting. God, this is really starting to take off. And then summer hit and half of those people disappeared. Okay, it's summer. They'll come back in the fall. Fall came, they didn't come back. I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. I felt like we were completely starting over again. I was burned out. I was practically bankrupt. Hardly ever got to see my kids. I was working 80, 90 hours a week or more, and I was just completely stressed all the time. I had no idea what to do. I remember a pastor friend sat me down. We met for breakfast for a coffee one morning. He sat me down. He said, Mike, I love you. I love what you're doing but I'm worried about you. He wrote on a little bar, uh, not a bar napkin, it was a coffee napkin. He wrote on a little coffee napkin. He said, H-A-L-T. He said, Mike, I see you and I look at you. I look at you and I see that you're hurt. I see that you're angry. You're lonely and you're tired. He said, when you see that in people's lives, it's time to, it might be time to reconsider what's going on and what you're doing in life. Reconsider, am I doing the right thing? I realized I couldn't keep this pace up. I could not keep doing what I was doing. I was sacrificing my health, my family, my emotional well-being, trying to pursue this dream. But the worst thing was that I had given up trusting in God's provision. I was just trying to work harder and do it on my own. I had lost my passion and my vision for what I was doing. I was going through the motions. And I realized I didn't have anything left to give. There was nothing left in the tank. The tank was empty. So my wife and I, we started praying. We started praying, God, what do you want us to do? I polished up my resume and started looking for a job and said, God, I'll stay if you want me to stay. But if you want me to go, I'll go. Within three weeks, I had about three job offers. One of those job offers was in McConnellsburg, Pennsylvania, and we moved to Pennsylvania, We moved out here to work for JLG. Let me tell you something. For somebody that grew up in Montana I mean there were literally 500 people in the entire county where I grew up, right? Everything East Coast, Pennsylvania you look on a map in Pennsylvania, it's right next to New York City and Washington, D.C. And I thought, that's all concrete and skyscrapers, right? I did not know about Franklin County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, man. I truly believe that God provided us his opportunity, that God truly released me from what we were doing in Billings. It didn't stop me from asking the questions for the next several years did I do the right thing? Did I give up too early? Did I not have enough faith? Maybe if I would have just prayed a little bit harder, everything would have turned out different, right? I ask myself over and over again over these next couple of years, now what? What's next? Where do I go from here? Do I still matter? Does God still want to use me? And what God has shown me, and and I, I think this is what he's saying to these disciples, when he shows up to these disciples in that room where they didn't believe, they didn't know what to expect, they didn't know what was coming next. I think that Jesus shows up, he says, go and preach the good news. I think what he's saying is that that's the other part of come, follow me. The call is still the same. It just looks a little different moving forward. When things don't work out the way that we plan in life, when we find ourselves asking, now what? I think there's a few things that we need to do. And one of the first things that we need to do, one of the first things that I needed to do in that time, I had to admit that I was hurt. Because even when you see the hand of God at work in your life, when things don't turn out the way that you think they're going to turn out, when they don't turn out the way that you think they should turn out, it hurts. And I had to recognize and admit that I was hurt. And I had to take time to heal. That healing, it doesn't take place overnight. Even Jesus and his disciples, when he appeared to them and said, go and make disciples, he said, go and preach. In the gospel of luke we see that he says in luke 24 49 he says now i will send the holy spirit to help you things are going to look different he's saying but you're going to have a helper just as my father promised but stay here in the city for a while until the holy spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven i think jesus wanted his disciples to go through a period of time of waiting healing of of renewing themselves this period of healing, I think, looks different for everybody. For me personally, it took me quite a while. I think it took a while for me because I'm stubborn, <laughs> I'm hard-headed, and I don't like to sit still. I don't like to wait. Some people like to wait, maybe. I don't like to wait. Psalm 23 says that I or it says that the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. That's what I needed. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. That's what I wanted. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you, O Lord. For you, Lord, are close to me. Look at those verses. Isn't that peaceful? I mean, you picture in your mind a nice, beautiful meadow, this, this quiet, still lake on a, a beautiful spring or summer day. I don't know about you, but I see nice, smooth water. I like to water ski. I want to get out there and tear things up a little bit. I don't want to wait. I hate sitting still because I'm stubborn. I'm dumb a little bit. you know. <laughs> so we moved to Pennsylvania, and I had all the free time on my hands, I thought. I was like, I don't have three and a half jobs anymore. I know what I can do. I, I, should, I should probably get involved more with my kids. And that was a good thing. Refing soccer, teach coaching soccer, um, a new job that I was learning, and, and all the other stuff that we got involved in, got involved with some churches and local communities still, everything we could think of. And then I thought, you know what? I still have time. Let's get my MBA. <laughs> that was so dumb. <laughs> I did not know how to sit still. I could not accept God's period of time where he was telling me, be still and rest. Be still and know that I am God. All those things I was getting involved in, they're good things. And we do a lot of those things now, but it looks different now. I have to find that balance. And all the time when I was getting involved, jumping in with both feet, tearing up that smooth water that God was trying to provide for me, I was avoiding what I really needed to do to heal. And what I needed to do to heal was I needed to let go of my anger, and I needed to ask God, what's next? What's your purpose, God? My plans failed. What's your plan, God? I needed to ask people that love me, people that care for me, for guidance, for wisdom. And for me, asking for help is hard. James four two says that you want what you don't have, Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And just a few verses later, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Part of learning to deal with failure, with unexpected twists and turns of life, I believe, is learning to be humble. You know, I was angry because I had my life, my plans, all laid out. I knew how life was supposed to turn out. And it didn't go the way that I wanted it to, and it made me angry. But when I learned, when I recognized that, and I was able to humble myself and ask God for help and ask God for his wisdom and guidance, started turning the corner. When I was angry and hurt, though, that pride and the pride that I had to let go of, see, because the other part of that is it caused me to be lonely and it drove me to isolate myself because I didn't like listening to the voices in my head. I don't know about you, I get these voices in my head sometimes, voices and emotions. And and i tell you what, our emotions, they lie to us. They lie to us all the time. Voices in my head, you know what they were saying to me? They were saying, you're not good enough. You never were, and you never will be. I was dealing with poor self-esteem. I was dealing with... um, I kept asking myself, what did I do wrong? I should should have worked harder, right? I was telling myself all these things. But those emotions, those voices in my head were lying to me. And I had to learn to listen instead of to my own voices. I had to listen to the voice of God. And I had to listen to what God was saying about me. I would listen to the people around me that loved me and knew what I had been through. And listen to what they said about me. A few weeks ago, or months ago rather, Pastor Lawrence did this sermon series called Blueprints. And we focused on one verse for, for, for like a month and it was great I'm not saying bad we folk one verse for a month but it was fantastic and listen to what that verse says 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are not like that you're not like the voices in your head you're not like what your head tells you it says you are not like that you are a chosen people you are royal priests a holy nation God's very own possession as a result you can show others the goodness of God For he called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. He had us make up a name tag during that series that said, Hello, my name is, remember those name tags? Mine says, Hello, my name is Mike. I am chosen. I am holy. I am God's prized possession. And that sits inside of my mirror in my bathroom, and I see it every morning when I brush my teeth. I am holy. I am chosen. I am God's prized possession. The last thing that I needed to do, and I think we all need to do when we face disappointment, when we face the twists and turns in life, I think the last thing we need to do is we need to trust in God. You see, when I was leaving Billings, when I made that decision, finally made that decision, I was arguing with God. God, what about all these people that are still here at church? What do I do with them? God says, Mike, do you love those people more than I love them? I'm like, no, I don't, God. God said, do you trust me? I said, yeah, I trust you, God. I think that's what God was saying. Jesus was saying to those 11 disciples. And Jesus came, he said, go and preach the good news. Go and baptize. Go and make the disciples. See, they were struggling. They were struggling to understand where to go from here. They thought they had it all figured out. Life didn't work for them. They had followed the call. Come follow me. They did what Jesus said. And, and then it didn't work out. And Jesus says, do you trust me? Go and preach the good news. Go and make disciples. Just because we set out to do something great for God, it doesn't mean that we are guaranteed success, does it? At least not in the way that we think of it. Our plans don't always succeed. But Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. A lot of times in life we think we have it figured out. We set off with the best intentions trying to do what we think God wants us to do and we fail. We fall flat on our face. But I got a secret for you. I don't think it's possible to fail when we seek God wholeheartedly. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 28.9 that as for you, know the God of your father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands the intentions of God of every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you abandon him, he will reject you forever. As long as we're seeking to serve God wholeheartedly, it is impossible for us to fail, even when life doesn't turn out the way that we want. So if we look at these two commands, this come, follow me, when Jesus calls us to follow him, and go and preach the good news. If we look at that as the two bookends of life, what does the middle look like? I want to wrap it up with this one verse. Acts 1:8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say quit your jobs and go be a full-time pastor, go be a missionary, go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't even say go and witness to people, does it? It says you will be my witnesses. Whether you intend to or not, whether you try to or not, you will be God's witnesses, and he will use you. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way. He said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. You see, being a witness and preaching the gospel and making disciples is not about just the special chosen few. It is about every one of us choosing to let God work through us. If if the two end marks, if the two purposes are summed up in in come follow me, go and make disciples, I think the middle is this. The middle is Matthew twenty two twenty seven to thirty nine. It says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind." This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. I believe that that's our mission and our purpose in life. Maybe maybe you've been struggling to find that purpose in life. Maybe you've never responded to the initial call from Jesus. Jesus says, come, follow me. Maybe you decided long ago to follow Jesus, but you've struggled to see the purposes and where to go from here. You don't know what the next step is. Jesus says, go and preach the gospel. Either way, It's all summed up, and it's all wrapped up in this. Love God, love people. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your scriptures that teach us what is wrong in our lives and show us how to live. I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ who overcame death so that we can live. Help me, Lord, to live my life for you. I love you, Lord. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to go where you go and do what you did. I offer my life to you as a living sacrifice. I pray that you would reveal your purpose to us. Thank you for healing our spirits. Thank you for healing our hurts. Help us to listen to your voice and to trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.